Hello, and welcome to The Haunted Davenport. This is another sidecast of The Dark Shadows. With me today is my beautiful wife, Allison, and I'm Drew, and we're it. Sidecast. sure they wanted to come. <laughs> well, as we said in our first Dark Shadows sidecast episode, there's a lot of episodes to cover and we didn't really want to volunteer Andy and Val for the long haul that is Dark Shadows because there is a whopping 1,225 episodes if I'm remembering correctly. Well, Six, seven, something around no, there. There are, yeah, I wrote it down. There's, there's, 1,225 total episodes. If you have not listened to our first Dark Shadows Sidecast episode, we recommend that you go back and listen to that one first because we are going full spoilers. We are discussing various storylines throughout the series and we are going pretty much in storyline order. Some of the storylines will overlap, but for this particular episode, we have all kinds of th fun things to discuss. One, the main plot line being a murder. And also we have some ghostly sightings and a kidnapping. Mm -hmm. So, and they're all related to each other. Um, we'll get to that. But yeah, so for, if you're following along with us and you're watching episodes, we are basically discussing where we left off last time, uh, young David Collins had been found out as causing the car crash of his father, Roger Collins. He had removed a part from the brakes. Attempted murder. Yeah. It was yeah. an attempted murder by David Collins to kill his father, and Roger story Collins. storylines kind of flow into each other, typical of a soap opera or a long, t a long form drama. And so as this is wrapping up, we start to flow into this next storyline and the, that transition starts to happen around episode 30 from season one. And we will be discussing this story all the way through to episode 127. Or if you're going by seasons from Dark Shadows the Beginning, which is how it's labeled if you're watching via DVD or streaming, we are going from season one, episode 30, to season four, episode 20. If you're going in just episode release show order that's episode 30 to 127 so we've got almost 100 episodes that there's, we're going to talk about there's actually a story. wikipedia article that explains how the episodes work out in the numbering system and yeah it actually it 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 basically i mean you want to be a little careful if you don't want spoilers but if you want that as a reference we will put that in our show notes in the um on our homepage, thehaunteddavenport.com for this episode and you can take a look it will break down the different storylines and it'll say what episodes 
those start and kind of wrap up in. And you'll see there's some overlap, but because Dark Shadows was so long and because there was actually even some weirdness with the episode numbering from when it initially broadcast to when it went into syndication to when it went into DVD release, there are Dark Shadows scholars who could explain this to you. I am not one of them. It's complicated. It doesn't really make a difference when discussing the storyline. Right. But when you're trying to pinpoint and reference, it's complicated. But anyway, if you're watching through streaming, which you can currently stream this through Amazon Prime, um, seasons one through six of Dark Shadows The Beginning, um, which is where we're going to be for our next episode as well, we'll still be within those seasons, is available streaming through Amazon Prime with a Prime membership. Or... If you don't want to use Amazon Prime and you want to watch it for free with limited commercials, you can watch it through Tubi TV, which is T-U-B-I-T-V.com. So that's a streaming app you can access through a computer or a smart TV or your phone. And all of the episodes of the beginning, and as far as I could tell, all of the episodes of the rest of the series um, are all available to stream. And we talked about this a little bit last time, but basically they've separated it from the beginning or the pre-vampire, pre-Barnabas Collins seasons. He shows up right at the end in episode 210. And then from, from it's almost like you could have like, bef like before Barnabas, so it would be the BB era of Dark Shadows mm -hmm. and the AB after Barnabas. Sure. <laughs> because once Barnabas is is on the show as far as D dvd release and streaming release purposes then it starts at a new season season one through i don't even know there's so many seasons but for the intent intent and purpose of this discussion if you want to frame a reference because this is a soap opera and other than holidays and getting bumped for special events this would have aired monday through friday throughout the year all of these six Stark Shadows beginning seasons actually ran from 1966 to 1967. So we're only really talking about a year's worth of shows here. Right. Um, the year, year and a half, give or take. Um, but right now... I mean, it was only on the air for like four years till 1970. It was like, I want to say five or six. Sorry, I don't have the notes right. for that. But... That's but it's a lot can... of episodes in four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if you if you have not watched um, through to episode 127, we are going to go full spoilers up through 127 for this episode. And you can see that for free on Tubi TV. Are you ready? Yeah. Shall we get into it? We start where we left off. Right. Yeah. So I have a lot of notes because <laughs> a lot happens. But basically, around the time the uh, mystery surrounding who tampered with Roger's car is resolved, we have the ongoing storyline of Burke Devlin trying to take down the Collins family. And the revenge of Burke Devlin. Yeah, their, their Count of Monte Cristo-style plot. And Burke is uh, in the process of trying to buy the Logansport Cannery, which is would be direct competition for the Collinsport Cannery to try and take the Collins family down. And in the midst of this, we have Carolyn hard-pursuing Burke, mm -hmm. while also still kind of half-heartedly trying to string 
Joe Haskell along, and we'll yeah. talk more about him in in this discussion because he's more Good of a prominent Joe. Ca- character. Always reliable Joe, always there until he's not. But a lot of this features around, the storyline features around a character known as Bill Malloy. Now, Bill Malloy, um, we mentioned, I think, briefly in the last episode discussion, but Bill Malloy works for the Collins family. He's worked for them for a long time. You get the feeling that he's a little sweet on Elizabeth Stoddard, who's the head of the Collins family. Right. And there's sort of this, this implied that he's really loyal to her and admires her and maybe has always had a, a little bit of a torch for her. And he starts to suspect that there's something to Burke Devlin's claims that he was not responsible for the manslaughter case that he was charged and convicted of 10 years ago. And he actually, by applying local artist and alcoholic Sam Evans with some alcohol. Right. Well, it's the whole thing is that Bert Devlin is, you know, buying up fishing fleets and he's trying to ruin the Collins family. And Bill Malloy is catching on to this and he runs the Collins port, you know, enterprises, the fishing fleet and the cannery and everything. And so to protect his employer and also possible sweetheart interest, whatever. Um, he is figuring there's got to be a way to get Burke Devlin to stop. What does Burke Devlin want truly deep down? Burke Devlin wants, uh, wants Roger Collins to pay. Mm-hmm. And Bill Malloy... I don't remember exactly how he finds out that Sam Evans might know something. I think he just puts two and two together that he's kind of one of the only the smartest people in Collinsport that notices Burke Devlin spends all of his time either hounding the Collins family or talking to Sam Evans, the painter. Well, and also if you're paying attention around town, you notice that occasionally Roger Collins is having intense discussions with Sam. So Sam clearly knows something right and we'll, let's let's talk a little bit about sam evans sam evans is played by actor david ford for pretty much he wasn't in the beginning of the very start of the series but he is for pretty much a good long run right he is sam evans mm-hmm. and he uh he's a local artist he lives in a cottage with his daughter maggie evans who uh works as a waitress at the local coffee shop that's attached to the Collinsport Inn, which is where Burke Devlin is staying. And so Maggie's sort of in the hotbed central to pick up all the gossip. Oh yeah, the good gossip. So Sam learns a lot about what's going on in town from his daughter Maggie. Maggie is one of our very favorite characters, and we'll talk about her a lot more as as the show goes on. She's played by Catherine Lee, Lee Scott, who is a completely wonderful and charming actress and actually wrote several books about Dark Shadows, which mm-hmm. we look forward to picking up and reading. And she's she's kind of, not only was she a dedicated performer in this series, she also seems like she's kind of a Dark Shadows super fan herself. Sure. But yeah, so, so we get to know more about the Evans family throughout this plotline because Sam Evans figures so prominently. But yeah, so Sam basically eventually gets the truth or uh, taken out or 
Bill Malloy gets Sam drunk. Yeah. Sam is a legendary local drunk. Everyone knows him as having a drinking problem. He didn't. The drinking started 10 years ago, though. Yeah, the drinking to... started right around the same time of the manslaughter case. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. So, so Bill learns from Sam, because Sam was a witness to the accident, that Burke Devlin, lo and behold, was not the one driving the car the night a man was right. killed. And it was like a hit-and-run style drunk driving accident. Yep, hit-and-run drunk driving accident where Roger Collins killed somebody on the side of the road. And Sam Evans happened to be walking along that day and saw it. And he could have been a material witness to say that Roger Collins was the one driving. But he was bought off by Roger Collins. And we learn a little bit later exactly what that bribe looked like, but that doesn't really get brought up in detail for this storyline. It's just known that it happened. So Bill, because doesn't Bill try to convince um, Roger that he needs to to leave to town, leave town, and and basically that he's the one harming the family, right? And that Burke's not going to stop until he gets justice, but really his beef is with with him. Right. So he's, you know, he gets to the root of the problem and realizes because because that's the other thing is Burke doesn't really have it in for Elizabeth or Carolyn or the rest of the family, but he sort of looks at it as well, you know, they're a clan, they're going to all stick together and they must have known about it and helped cover it up. Well, not Carolyn, she would have been too young, but they just he looks at it and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, it's all one family, so I have to take them down." But if Roger were to just come forward, it would all be over. Right. So, basically, Bill decides to have a meeting. Right. And he requests the presence of Sam, Roger, and Burke to have it all out. Because Bill is a really, you know, he's an upright kind of guy. He, as much as he loves and wants to protect the Collins family, he believes that the truth must be upheld. And he lets Burke know that he feels... He doesn't go into detail about what he knows, but he says, you know, he feels that Burke got a raw deal, basically. Right. So Burke knows that well, Bill knows something. Bill Malloy basically goes ping-ponging between the three of them, all telling them, I know what actually happened when we need to discuss this to each one of them, but never quite says what actually happened and never says who he's gonna, you know, bring the hammer down on. But, um... Everyone pretty much knows what happened, and everyone knows who is going to be in trouble, um, which is mainly Roger, but then Roger keeps threatening uh, Sam Evans, saying that, you know, he would be an accessory. And Sam has written a letter confessing basically everything to his daughter Maggie, uh, but he won't let her read it. So he has her keeping a letter in a safe. Right. That's his quote-unquote insurance policy because he's not entirely sure that Roger wouldn't try to have right. him taken care of, so to speak. Roger would bump him so off. So he has this insurance letter. It's it's really frustrating to watch Maggie, who's such a, a really good daughter to her drunkard father who doesn't seem to... I mean, he loves her clearly, but he doesn't really treat her with a ton of respect and she kind of carries the family. And he's, you know, he won't tell her 
what's in the letter and he gets really angry every time she brings it up and defensive and I just think gosh you know if right. my if I was an adult with a job and I was kind of the breadwinner and my dad was talking to me that way and drinking constantly at a certain point I'd pack my bags and go <laughs> be like that ah, you know what not your babysitter so, right but... and well he tr keeps trying to get the letter back because he kind of wrote it and I'm yeah, assuming a drunken state i don't mm -hmm. remember exactly when he wrote it but i remember that multiple times he's tried to get the letter back he even tries to get the letter without her permission because it's in the safe at the hotel that maggie works in the cafe at so he and, can't get it right they won't let him have it because only the people who put things into the safe can take things out of the safe company policy which is a good policy well and i think Given what happens next, he's probably glad that he wrote the letter and that it's in the safe. Sure. Because, shall we say what happens next? Uh, Bill Malloy never makes it to that meeting. No, he does not. He is found dead on the beach near Collinwood. Well, first he's just missing for a while. Yeah. But is it Vicky and Carolyn together right. find him? Yeah, so he's presumed... He's missing, and people start presuming he's dead, but no one knows what's going on because, you know, Bill Malloy is not the type of guy to just disappear all of a sudden, even though Roger likes to say over and over again, oh, I'm sure he just went on vacation. Without telling anybody, which is totally against his character, right? And then Roger after... doesn't do anything but look guilty this whole time. <laughs> he's so bad at, like... Well, and you find out more about why. But, oh, uh, sure, but he just, he, Roger's just kind of a shoot himself in the foot kind of character for someone who's supposed to be smart and devious. Yeah, I don't think he's smart. I think he's just devious. Right. He just has a large vocabulary and looks mm -hmm. down his nose at everyone. Right. So, yeah, Bill Moy is found dead, and... He's first seen by Vicky and Carolyn mm -hmm. while they're taking a walk for some reason, at night on cliffs. And then they alert everyone, and then his body is missing, isn't it? Right, because yeah. they see him, and then they say, we need, you know, and we just saw a dead body. It's probably Bill Malloy. And they said, where? That's impossible. And they said, you know, down at the base of the in the water. And then they send their helpful handyman, Matthew, down to take a look at the body, you know, and find out who it is and everything. And he comes back and says, there's nobody down there. I looked and there's no body, just a bunch of seaweed. That's probably what they saw was the pile of seaweed floating in the water. And we seem a little bit fuzzy as we go over this. It is because there is almost 100 episodes of the storyline, and this was towards the very beginning of this right. 100 episode run. But if I'm remembering correctly... David, during this time, also, he has got his little crystal ball, and oh, he's right. saying that Bill, he's pretty sure Bill Malloy is not He knows Bill Malloy is dead. Although, he thinks for sure that it was his dad, and he says that's what the crystal ball tells him, but, you know, right. well, he's he being saw, influenced by wishful thinking. Yeah, well, he also, <laughs> he saw his dad over Bill over Malloy's body in, in the water. Right, that's right. In his crystal ball. Which makes more sense later, because David's crystal ball is actually very accurate many, many times. It's spookily accurate. 
I think David's got the gift. Mm-hmm. Well, he communicates with ghosts. Yeah. You know? David's a, a very little, special a little, little bit boy. of a ghost whisperer. He's also a little bit of a sociopath. Oh, <laughs> as he's we will very out, much a sociopath. We'll find out more about that. As if, as if trying to kill his dad wasn't enough evidence. Right. Um, so now they're out looking... Um, still looking for Bill Malloy. They don't believe the girls. And then I forget where his body finally washes up. It's not a super crucial detail to the plot, right. but it, it does eventually surface for everyone to see and for there to actually be a coroner's inquest and all that. And I ne- neglected to mention earlier, Bill Malloy is played by actor Frank Schofield. So just since we're talking about him so much, I yeah. should acknowledge the the man who's doing the performance and he's just it was rough because i remember in the beginning i think well i really like this character and, right and you know he's not a major character but he's a very likable character in this ensemble he's cast. a nice guy and, and it you know it's a little bit shocking for your first time watch that this in like, a oh, in a town full happening. of not necessarily nice people the nice ones are always nice suffering yeah um, so yeah, they find Bill Malloy's body. Now everyone knows Bill Malloy's dead, and they have a coroner's report. That takes a few episodes, because you know you gotta have the suspense there. Well, and you have, you have Burke chomping at the bit for Roger to be found mm-hmm. guilty. Sam is getting squirrely, because he knows he looks suspicious too, so everybody's squirming. Right. Some people are kind of trying to say, oh, well maybe Burke was involved, but Burke was you know, going to gain from Bill Malloy being or, alive and so telling Burke what he knows. Says, yeah, nobody else can corroborate with Burke well, that Sam can. <laughs> nobody's coming forward to corroborate with Burke to say that, you know, he was going to exonerate is that the right word exonerate. Yeah. Anyways, uh Burke Devlin. Well and so an interesting while the while the inquest is happening, eventually it's ruled an accident. Right. Um, the sheriff is mostly trying to just keep everybody calm. The sheriff is uh, George Patterson, and he's played by Dana Elkar, and he's he's you know kind of a fun character because he isn't willing to be pushed around by the Collins family or he, Burke Devlin or Burke or Devlin. Anybody. Everybody with money and influence is kind of trying to get him to steer his investigation one way or another and he's he's very firm and just the facts man he's He's, he's kind of a joe friday yeah but more of a but a lovable yeah joe friday joe friday is like was like kind of like the chiseled hard-edged guy this guy's more like your your friendly neighborhood i know everybody in town kind of He's what you sheriff. want your sheriff to he's, be like. He's a he's a little bit. He's got the the stalwart nature of of a Joe Friday mixed with the down home Andy Griffith Mayberry style. Exactly. He's a little bit more Mayberry. He's, he's the Joe Friday of Mayberry. So yeah, yeah, I guess. Of Colin. Do Ford. do whatever you want with that analogy. Um, so this elaborate fountain pen starts to figure into the plot and it's interesting because the the fountain pen comes into play because while carolyn is doggedly pursuing burke so the fountain pen has been talked about quite a while right yeah so so but it's it's prominently featured in the storyline so to refresh everybody's memory 
basically Burke gives Carolyn the fountain pen as a gift and it's kind of after she's been really sort of I mean he, obviously she's an attractive blonde girl and he's you know side side note he gets to if he dates her it gets to make the family mad so right. you know he's not he's not uninterested at all he's definitely interested in Carolyn but especially when he's been drinking she's pursuing him hard she's doing things like she like i don't remember if we discussed it previously but she was leaving a ring behind so he'd have to find it and call oh, yeah. her and creepy stalker these, stuff she's being obsessive yeah right. yeah she needs to calm down but anyway he gives her this really beautiful fountain pen and she flaunts silver it, filigree she's flaunts it at, at her uncle roger at one point because he's trying to imply that you know he's only pursuing you to get back at us. He's using you. He doesn't care about you, which is all fairly true. Yeah. But she doesn't want to hear it, so she waves around the fountain pen and is like, well, he gave me this expensive present. And Roger says something to the effect of, well, you shouldn't have accepted that. That's inappropriate. And right. he takes it away from her like she's a little kid. She behaves like a child. going to so give whatever. it back to Burke Devlin and tell him that this is inappropriate for him to give you. So he has this pen. And he tells Burke he's going to give it back to him because he's mad that he gave it to him in the first place. But right. in the meantime, Bill Malloy is killed. And disappears, yeah. the pen also disappears. And so Roger... Well, suddenly doesn't know where the pen is. Right. And he can't give it back to Burke, and Burke's like, oh. And he's out looking for it. You see him searching for it mm -hmm. many times in the night. And also, at this point, they have found the body. when Once he's searching for his pen that he lost, lost the night of the murder. Mm -hmm. um, although not ruled a murder, ruled an accident. They're trying to also figure out where his body may have gone in, which uh, uh, they get the facts for that kind of from David because David takes up a a big interest in in helping solve this case so he can prove his dad's a murderer. Right, he is ready for his so dad to get locked up. Him and Joe Haskell. <laughs> Uh, Joe Haskell teaches him how to to read tide charts and figure out things that you know go in the water and where they would end up later. So you know David learns a lot when he's trying to f send his dad to prison. Oh right, you know before he was trying to kill him, he was researching about auto mechanics, right? Re yeah, reading popular popular mechanics. If so... Victoria Winters could just figure out ways of making mathematics. A way to get cause pain and suffering to David's father. He would finally do his mathematic homework. So you're saying all of his lesson plans need to be macabre in their uh -huh. orientation, and then he'd pay attention in his. They need to be about ghosts and <laughs> father's horrible ways. Right, right. So yeah, they find out that uh, the place where Bill Malloy most likely went into the water was is it Lookout Point? I think so. It's it's basically the beach below Widow's Hill, isn't it? Or Widow's Widow's Peak. There's a yeah. There's this there's this point that's well, up it's high. like halfway between. It's not mm -hmm. under Widow's Peak. It's halfway between the Collinwood and the place where the meeting was going to happen. 
or the cannery mm-hmm. or Bill Malloy's house. Well, there's 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 definitely beach that's either part of the Collinwood property or near the Collinwood property. It'd be very helpful if is, they made a map of Collinwood. I know, I would actually, you know what, there might be one. But uh, Somebody who wrote a book might have done one. Right, trying to figure out where things happen. You know, when I read Lord of the Rings, I had the map to reference where right. where the battles were happening and where the journeying is going on. So I need I need a Collinsport map to try and figure out where things are in map my head. Map of Collinsport. That would be awesome. So if we find one, we'll definitely let you guys know and post it in the show notes. So, yeah, so this pen later surfaces on the beach. Vicky is on a walk, and she happens to find it. And Just clearing her head. Yeah, and Vicky just, you know, doesn't think much of it other than, oh, look, I found this really beautiful pen, you know, I had a lucky day, and she's really happy to have found it like you do when you're on the beach or on a hike someplace and you find a really cool ground score, you know, it's, it's really relatable. And she, she takes it back to Collinwood and she shows it to David and David doesn't know the backstory of the pen at all. So he's just interested in it because it's pretty, pretty much. Right. Am I remembering that correctly? So he's just in, like, he just is looking at it. It's a shiny thing, you know. He's not, no malintent or anything. But David has a history of stealing and also breaking into her room. Right. And just pelfering or rifling through whatever he wants because he's a spoiled little kid. And so after he looks at it intensely, um, soon after that, it ends up disappearing because Roger also sees that she has it, pretends he's never seen it before, mm-hmm. and then secretly sneaks off with it right absconds with evidence it. against him and all the while because david ends up pen, looking guilty it was a pen that everyone's looking for because that pen uh could prove where roger was and it, lo and behold the pen was found at the place where the dead body went into the water uh so yeah that's well, kind and, of damning evidence against Roger. It's just funny because this fountain pen, this is not the last we've heard of this fountain pen. It it, it gets more and more involved into this plot. Mm-hmm. So Roger it's a takes it. Very important it, fountain pen. And Roger eventually buries this pen mm-hmm. so that no one will find it. But in the meantime, we get this whole subplot of David deciding that he hates Vicky and he's tired of her and he is also tired of being accused of taking the pen. And so he decides that he's going to tell her that he hid it and he lures her into the closed off section of the house to look for her pen and gets her to come into this room and basically locks her in this room his secret private room mm-hmm. where no one can hear you and no one can find you. And he's even kind of set it up a little bit for her to be there long term. Well, it's like it's his play fort. Right. You know? He's got, he brings his canned food there and he's got old newspapers to read and comic books and he's got candles and stuff. He gets to go in the spooky haunted house room because David loves the spooky parts of, of mm-hmm. the house and also later the older house that's on the property that we'll get to. Um, he So he 
makes comments about the ghosts and tries to psych her out and locks her in and sh and poor Vicky is in there pounding on the door and yelling for him to let her out and he just walks away and leaves her and this room is far enough into the closed off wing that it's not as if anyone would be able to hear her. Right. And she's there for quite a while. She's there overnight. Yeah. She is stuck there overnight and, and Collinwood is big enough and people come and go enough that no one misses her right away. Right. It's, they start to realize that something's wrong. But not until, I really feel like, the next morning. Mm-hmm. But she, so she's in there for quite a while. And she's falls asleep on a cot in the middle of the night after being tired and upset. And probably hungry, too. Right. Because who knows what David left there for her to eat or anything. And she is visited by the ghost of Bill Malloy. Right. She wakes up in the middle of the night when Bill Malloy... And this isn't the first time we see a ghost because I believe we see the ghost of Josette Collins come out of a portrait of her in the old house yeah, while David is playing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember why playing. they went to the old house. Well, David just starts going to the old house a lot. Well, right. I think he's been going this whole time, but we actually get to see it. They've they built a set for it. They just set up the it, old house so, yeah, on a random episode. It. It's the the way things pop up long before they're relevant shows that there actually was a good writing staff on this program that was thinking everything through. At least the at fact, this point. Yeah, at this point. I mean, the fact that, like, the pin was the, you know, Chekhov's pin. <laughs> and, right. you know, we've got uh, the ghost coming out of the portrait, they wrote in a thing just to have a ghost show up, which I'm sure got really good ratings, too. Um, there's a great story about the ghost uh, where Catherine Lee Scott, who's the the great uh, Who actress, plays Maggie Evans. Plays Maggin, Maggie. Uh, she's, she's also very into the show Dark Shadows, and, you know, she wrote some books, but... Even back then, she was very into it. It's not just a, this is her bread and butter, and that's why she keeps tagging on at uh, conventions and everything. Apparently, they were filming a ghost sequence with just a mannequin dummy kind of situation, and she was hanging around set because that's what she did. And she said, that doesn't look good. You need something better. And so they dressed her up as a ghost, and then did all the ghost sequences with Mag with Catherine Lee Scott. I always want to call her Maggie. Yeah. In her in my mind, she's just Maggie. But yeah, so she plays the ghost of Josette Collins, who uh, who David claims to see all the time. And then after they give up looking for Josette Collins and they leave, because. Victoria Winters is unconvinced that ghosts exist, then the ghost of Josette Collins comes out of the painting and walks down, basically as the end credits roll on mm -hmm. an episode, and you don't really talk about it again for for quite some time. And it, it's a really cool scene, and they play that classic kind of ghostly haunted house music. Oh yeah, there's a lot of theremin. Emerges and... from her painting. And since we talked about the writing, I just thought I'd real quick mention who was writing the bulk of these episodes at this point. Um, primarily, for a lot of this, 
the writers were Art Wallace and Francis Swan, although you do have a couple episodes written um, by Ron Sprout here and there, but that's kind of later when we get closer to like around episode 90 to 100. But so right now for a lot of what we're talking about, those were the people who wrote these episodes. We also had uh, basically two directors kind of back and forth for these episodes and it was John Sedwick and Leela Swift. Leela Swift actually directed close to half of the entire series, which is a pretty impressive It's a lot of episodes. So, yeah, we might delve a little bit more into to the writers and directors in a, in a next episode that we can talk a little bit about their background and experience so we can get to know some of the other people on the production end. Yeah. But so, yeah so, so David has locked Victoria Winters up in, walled her up, basically, to die. Because he's not, he doesn't like her, doesn't want her around anymore. So David's solution to people he doesn't like is to try to kill them. Because he's... I don't know if that, that was explicitly what he was trying to do there. Or he just thought it would be a, a mean thing to do. And maybe she after she got out, she'd leave Collinwood. He made it's a lot of say. speeches about how no one will ever hear you for, you know, a million years you could be in here. But that's also something you would say if you were trying to bully someone. If you are trying to, like, scare somebody. It's hard to know. I mean, he is, he is a bit of a sociopath. He did try to kill so. his father. Yeah, and Carolyn makes reference to a kitten that met a bad end oh, at yeah. one point. Oh, yeah. That's a really creepy... That that comes up after Vicky gets out of the room. So, Bill Malloy, basically, when he appears to Vicky, he tells her that she she's in danger and that she needs to leave, and boy, wouldn't he know, you know? Right. Bill Malloy says somebody... That he was killed by someone in Collinsport. Mm-hmm. Doesn't tell her who. Right. Very helpful guy. Just that she's in and danger. That she needs to leave, or she could be next. And then... And he's very accurate about all of these things. And he leaves seaweed behind. So she knows that it wasn't just a dream because she leaves seaweed behind. Well, she doesn't he, find sorry, the seaweed. He, he, no, she does. It's um, Elizabeth that finds the seaweed. No, but she, she finds no, the seaweed she, too. She sees it after he's gone and she tells them about right. it. And then Elizabeth finds, finds it. Finds the seaweed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So later when she's out of the room so and she's seaweed. telling them about it, Elizabeth realizes that there must be something to it because there is seaweed. Right, on the ground. Yeah, so do you remember how exactly she gets out? I think, is it just... She gets out because they're looking for her and... Oh, Roger finds Roger, her. Um, he, like, Elizabeth has has the key to the locked off portion mm-hmm. but roger collins knows secret entrances to the locked right. off portion. okay i forgot about that so he goes through a There's secret entrance in the and walks room. around yeah in the like the sitting room walks around in the the boarded off section and hears her screaming it's so cool so there's then a secret entrance he doesn't go up to the door and just let her out he, after hearing her scream, comes up to the door with, like, uh, an old cane and rattles that across the door and makes ghostly noises about how, oh, Vicky, you need to leave Collinsport. Because Roger Collins, at this point, wants to get rid of her, has been 
multiple times trying to get rid of her. Doesn't think that it's safe for her and that she should be there. But really, the reason he doesn't want her around is because she has seen this damn fountain pen. <laughs> so he needs to get rid of her because she knows about the fountain pen. Right. Yeah, and he so he he's, tries to mess with her. So she... She's released, and she tells everybody, and they are kind of like, oh, you know, you were just traumatized, or you were dreaming, but Elizabeth does see the seaweed that Bill left behind. And so, real quick before we get too much further into the story, I have a few little notes of quotes early on when we were watching this that I took of things that I thought were kind of funny or worth, worth note, and one of them is from episode... Uh, it's it's from season two, episode thirty, also known as episode sixty five, because <laughs> that's where we're at. Right. Um, there's a scene early on with this before Vicky gets locked up, where I think it's before Vicky gets locked up in the room. But anyway, Burke comes up to to Collinwood to have it out with Elizabeth one of many times, and Elizabeth isn't. She wants to force him into polite conversation and make small oh, talk. Oh, right. Because um, mostly he's come there to yell to yell at Roger, and Elizabeth is like, you know, no, this is not well, how we Roger's in not this house. there at the yeah. time, you know. So and she, she says, you can wait for him in the di- in the in the she, sitting room. Basically, it's really amusing though because she, through just being herself without being really forceful, but just being insistent and kind of this, you know graceful kind of stuffy woman the matriarch of the family basically makes him drink tea when he wasn't planning on sitting there politely having tea but she engages him in polite conversation and just ignores his ranting and serves him tea and vicky walks in and she says burke what are you doing here and he says i don't exactly know I think I'm having tea. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. It was just such a great moment. And early on in these episodes, um, I thought a nice detail was is that Roger still has the scar from his car accident. Oh, yeah. Early in, into the storyline. And then around the same time as well. Because everything bleeds over and everything. Yeah. Because um, Vicky's still trying to figure out who she is. She is, yeah. And so so we get, we're treated to a lot of conversations between Vicky and Elizabeth where Vicky's trying to figure out her parentage and that comes more into play as we get more into the story and she one of the things that she tells elizabeth she's always writing letters and elizabeth says oh you know you must have all these people to correspond with that must be really nice and she does have some people that she corresponds with in new york from the foundling home friends like that but she tells her that she started writing herself letters at a young age because she enjoyed receiving them and it was like a way to give a gift to herself, which right, I could and see also kind of keep a diary. Right, yeah. She said it was all, it was a really kind of an interesting way to have a diary of her life, and I just thought that was a really cool idea, even though it sounds like it's a little bit heartbreaking because you're like, oh, this lonely kid doesn't have anyone to correspond with, so you know she doesn't have any family, so she's writing herself. But at the same time, it kind of reinforces the depth of that character and her positive self-talk and her self-care. Right. Which is why she's so She can power through anything. In the face of chaos and danger and backbiting in this family. And it kind of just shows how she developed her character and her youth into being a strong, you know, common sense 
basically, right. I don't know how to describe how what what word exactly I'm grasping for, but but Victoria is a little bit of a rock in this mm-hmm. crazy storm. And I think the story of her childhood and starting to write letters for herself and just kind of being level-headed about her own self-care of her own emotional state leads to this character development. And I just thought that was really neat. Yeah, you kind of wonder if that was written in or if that was... I mean, obviously the letters were written in, but I don't know. She was acted very well as well. Yeah, maybe it was taken from either a writer or actor's life. I mean, if somebody who worked on the show did something similar. Mm-hmm. But I just think it adds that layer of, of you know, you wouldn't think necessarily somebody who'd grown up as an orphan would be so strong necessarily. Um, although I think, you know, when you learn to survive at a, at a young age and you right, learn... be stronger. You learn to be emotionally resilient as a survival technique that... That yeah, you would you would maybe necessarily be stronger. And she's this is in contrast to this very pampered, dysfunctional family of Collins. The Liberty gibbet. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn and Carolyn and Vicky make for a really stark contrast. So, so I'm trying to remember if she when she's locked in the room, if that's before or after she starts going around trying to figure out who the portrait is. Oh, okay. So so this this is not long after she's locked up in the room, she's given um, permission to go on a, on leave for a few days. You know, mm-hmm. kind of as a, Elizabeth's like, yes, please take a trip. Don't leave us. Right. And she's not sure initially if she wants to stay or not. And then David, David finds out that she saw a ghost. And suddenly David thinks that Vicky is the bee's knees right. because she saw a ghost. And really believes she saw a ghost and no one else believes him. So he's fascinated with her now in a new way, and, she, and now well, and also she's it relevant was, it to It was him. the ghost of Bill Malloy, uh-huh. and the ghost of Bill Malloy could tell him how to get Roger in prison for murdering him. So he asks Vicky to stay when prior to this he'd just been trying to get her to leave by right. being terrible to her. And this is when Carolyn, you know, because he says something like, oh, well, I love Miss Winters, and Carolyn... Says yes, he loved. Said he loved a kitten once, and and, and then he Vicky asked, the kitten. yeah, Vicky asked what happened to the kitten, and she says it drowned in a bathtub, and I was like, that is dark. Right. That was just so so upsetting and yeah, dark. David, David's a little off in the head, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at his his upbringing, and then later when we do meet his mother, you figure out oh, where God. some of this is coming from. Yeah. Because we're gonna meet her. But yeah, so, so not in this discussion. No, though. not in this discussion. That'll be for next. Well, time. a hint at it. Mm-hmm. So, Vicky goes to Bangor because she, while she's locked up in the room, she finds a ledger that has the name B. Hanscom on it. Right. And B. Hanscom stands out to her because previously, when she'd been hanging out at the Evans house. She'd seen a portrait of a young woman whose last name was Hanscom, Betty Hanscom, and she, in this portrait, bore a striking resemblance to Vicky. So right. Vicky sees this as a clue. And I love that she goes around with this painting and says, like, doesn't it look like me to everybody? And the reactions are always either, 
I don't know, I don't see it, or, oh my god, that's a beautiful painting of you someone did. Well, pretty much the only people who think it doesn't look like her are people, basically, pretty much just Elizabeth. Elizabeth's like, that looks Elizabeth and like you Roger. and Roger. Well, Roger's the two just people annoyed. that seem to have something to hide. Right. And so, Elizabeth gets really squirrely about Vicky investigating her past, and we, we don't know why, but we feel like she knows something. Mm-hmm. This this painting comes into play, and the ledger is a ledger of former employees, because at one point, Collinswood, the house and the state, had a large staff right. until 18 years ago, and the house was basically shut up, and right. the was closed off, and Elizabeth... The closed off portion wasn't always closed off. And Elizabeth off. Start, stopped leaving the house, so all of these things coincided with about 18 years ago. So you have these major events where... You have the 10, 10 years ago, there was the hit and run tragedy mm-hmm. and the trial. And 18 years ago, there was the sudden shift in tone at the House of Collinwood. Mr. Stoddard left town. Mm-hmm. So she's being weird about it. And, and so what basically, because the ledger has the attorney's uh, name on the top of the, it has on the letterhead, the uh, Collins family attorney's name is on there. And um, the, it's Garner and Associates. So she decides to make an appointment and goes to Bangor and has a discussion with the family attorney. And he tells her there was a butler with that name. Right. But that's about all he can tell her. There might be more paperwork at the law firm, like old pay stubs or things that mm-hmm. might have an address where she could investigate further. Find out the last known mm-hmm. address for the butler. And... On the way to Bangor, she ends up writing to Bangor with Burke Devlin, which is sort of this whole subplot where Carolyn is trying to pursue Burke, and it backfires because she invites him to the coffee shop, and he finds out Vicky is going to Bangor and offers Vicky a ride, and Carolyn's steaming mad, and right. and in an insane way insinuating that Vicky orchestrated this oh, whole yeah, thing Oh yeah, over and over again... Carolyn has weird delusional thoughts She's that crazy that Vicky is trying to ensnare uh, Burke Devlin when all Vicky's doing is just being polite, innocent Vicky. We get we get little hints there here and there that Burke has an interest in Vicky more right. than just as a friend. But Vicky, but Vicky's just being polite. Very much, this is on the level. He's an acquaintance. There's nothing going on. And also, while she's in Bangor, she meets um, the main attorney's son, Frank Garner, who immediately becomes smitten with her. But it's it's cute because it's kind of like a little mutual attraction. Yeah, it's somebody this... more closely to her age right. and not insanely pursuing the vengeance yeah. of the, her employers. He's a nice, normal, young attorney. Right. Ba- banger, and he seems very charming and kind. And, and he's he... into the idea of helping her with whatever she needs and... You know, if that means he's going to go through boxes and boxes and boxes of dusty paperwork to try and find some dude's name and last a known address, he'll do it. Because, you know, he's got to win the heart of this beautiful girl. So we 
are treated to some fun scenes of Vicky dining out and actually getting to be dressed up because she's not, not that she's ever poorly dressed. She always right. looks cute, but, um, she, she's, you know, in her evening wear and she's got her hair in an updo and she right. goes to dinner with Frank and then Burke sees Frank Garner and gets a little bit like, Oh, who's this person? Yeah, he gets you a little know? bit puffed. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. It's a, it's, that's a makes for some fun. It spans the course of a couple episodes, and it's fun to watch. And so, but at least in, I, I, I remember when we first watched it, I was like, oh, this is starting to get good. Right. And in <laughs> in the whole puff and everything, after Frank goes, because Vicky is going to, she got a ride in with, with Burke. She's going to leave town and get a ride home with Burke. Mm-hmm. And so... Burke has to go take care of whatever, and Burke's uh, bank guy, his his money manager guy, is hanging out, and he says, here, have him entertain you while I'm gone, and he is signing documents, and she sees his pin, and she says, that's such a fancy pin, I used to have one just like it, and he says, that's impossible. There's only two of these in the United States. Yeah, like six in existence. Right, only two, only in, two the in the United States. I have one, and Burke has one. They were bought in another country. Right, Venezuela, I think it I was, exactly or somewhere where. in South America. Yeah. And so then, all of a sudden, the wheels start turning in Vicky's head, and she says, "You know what?" No, that's not the pin. It doesn't look anything like the pin I saw. <laughs> I and, was mistaken. <laughs> and then she goes immediately over to a telephone booth and calls up Collinswood because she is now under the impression that Burke Devlin, the only other person that has a pin like this pin in America, has killed Bill Malloy because she found it on the beach where Bill Malloy died. So mm-hmm. she has direct evidence, and uh, so she needs a ride home with somebody that's not a murderer. And of course, who who answers the phone? Roger. Roger. And Roger's really pissed at her because Carolyn basically went home and told everybody that Vicky ran off to Bangor with Burke, which is not how it happened. Right. She's having a tantrum because she's an adult child. Right. And so she's. Making it sound like there's some torrid affair and that Vicky's well, conniving with Burke against like the family. purposely, like, stretching the truth. Oh, yeah. Like, in avoiding, the you know, answering. The fact that she invited right. Burke to lunch, which is how Well, how Burke... did you run into him? Yeah. It just happened. Right. She orchestrated the whole meetup. She called him down from his hotel to mm-hmm. have lunch with them at the coffee shop. And then that's how that all and happened. And it blew up in her face. And Elizabeth, when it's all explained, is like, well, that actually makes sense perfect sense why would vicky ride the bus why would she want to ride the bus when she has a comfortable ride right. to her? you know save the money save riding the bus and so it eventually calms down but so roger ends up when she when vicky reveals that she feels unsafe with burke then roger suddenly drops his attitude of meanness and is like oh i'll be right there and he right. dashes off because now Roger is like, oh, Vicky believes that Burke Devlin's the murderer. She's now my best friend. Right. Oh, so gross. And then you get like, I don't know how many episodes that arc is where Roger wants Vicky to be his best friend ever. 
He doesn't. But he makes the attempt a few times. It's it's creepy and weird. Well, it's also super unbelievable because in the in between times when he's not trying to kiss her butt, he's super nasty and catty to her. So right. it's she's smart enough. She's she's not. You know, this girl grew up as an orphan in New York. She's probably seen some some things. <laughs> she's not. She's not buying any of right. it. Right. But she so so she rides back with Roger, and it's a stormy night. And they end up having to take a back road to avoid flooded out roads. And then that road ends up being unsafe to drive to. So they end up having to park the car and, and go. Stay in an abandoned house. Right. And then. And at this point, like, all, all evidence that the viewer sees is pointing towards Roger Collins as the murderer. You think he's murderer. the murderer. And you think that she just went from the perceived frying pan into the fire you know that she thought she was unsafe with burke when right. really she was totally safe with burke but she other than maybe some lecherous intention i don't know <laughs> but she but he wouldn't you know he really respects biggie he wouldn't try anything without consent but he he seems like the suspect and really she's you know it's it's great suspense because she's in this creepy sort of horror movie situation oh yeah stormy road broken it down. was a dark and stormy night just like this and the first time you're watching this you almost wonder well did roger take the back road on purpose Is right he do away with her well because she even asked like why are we taking this road why don't mm -hmm. we take the and then he says like oh well this is gonna cut off this much time and you know yada 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 and then it turns out that that road is flooded out and they won't make it. So then they got to turn around, but the roads behind them are probably just as bad at now. So they're going to have to stay in that house they saw a ways back. And eventually, you know, they have a conversation and he keeps telling her that she needs to leave Collinwood because that's his broken record, you know, statement mm -hmm. that he says over and over again. And the sheriff... Well, and she wants to go, she's telling him all about the pin, mm -hmm. and she wants to go tell the sheriff about the pin and everything, mm -hmm. and he says, well, no, you don't want to bring that up because it's, you know, going to be damning evidence, or it's, it's going to be in, in, you know, consequential evidence because we won't be able to prove anything because we can't show him the pin, it's just hearsay. Mm-hmm. And basically, he's talking her out of it because he knows if she brings it up to anybody, they'll all go, well, Roger was the last one to have the pin. So the sheriff shows up because he sees the car and there's a note on it explaining where they are. And so he comes to their aid and they're able to get back to Collinwood. And when there's questions about, well, why did Vicky suddenly call you in the middle of the night to have you drive up to Bangor, which... I'm guessing is a like a two or three hour drive. Like it's a it's little like bit a of couple a drive. Hours, yeah. Like an hour and a half, I think they say. From where they're supposed to be. And so there's questions about that. And Roger creepily tries to imply that maybe Vicky and he is sweet on him or something. Which right. is so weird. Well, and, and so also not like believable. people imply that like maybe Burke had been drinking and she didn't trust him to drive, mm -hmm. you know, because he's got a history of that. Right, and Carolyn kind of buys that, and then she kind of gets excited at the thought of Vicky liking her uncle, and that, I don't know, all of that conversation. Well, there's multiple times cringe. where Carolyn like, no. <laughs> implies that she thinks her uncle is a catch. 
Yes. Which is weird. Because mm-hmm. multiple levels. It's very weird. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, yeah, the, there's sort of like weird flirtation between the two of them that's very bizarre. Right. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at as far as, you know, the saga of the pen. And then through conversations, Vicky learns from Carolyn that Carolyn received the pen as a gift from Burke. Right. And then, then it Roger took it away from her and that Roger lost it. And Vicky goes into panic mode and realizes... now she's like, Roger is the murderer yes. in her head. And then she goes to Burke. Mm-hmm. And so Burke, you know, again, Vicky wants to tell the police. Everyone's always trying to talk her out of it. Burke gets her to hold off. But she's feeling unsafe and she's trying to avoid Roger, being alone with Roger. And she ends up... Going back to Collinwood, Roger learns that from Carolyn that Vicky now knows because right. everyone's just babbling to everybody, and that's just the way it goes in the small towns. Right. And so she, Roger, like comes up behind her, covers her mouth, and tells her not to scream, which is so creepy and such a thing a murderer would do. Right. And then he explains to her. What actually happened? And then this is where we find out that David's crystal ball was right. That he was standing over the body of Bill Malloy. So apparently Roger, while walking, going to a meeting, was going to meet Bill Malloy and try to discuss it with him. Yeah, and beforehand. Beforehand, and then he found him on the beach, or, you know, washing up on the beach... And so then he sent him back out to sea to get rid of the body because, you know, that he couldn't call the cops because they would have thought he did it. Yeah, he figured he's prime suspect number one, so he panicked and did stupid things and lost Which is, the you know, in the process. What Roger Collins does yes. is anytime he can, you know, do the right thing, he does the exact opposite. Out of fear that he'll be blamed. But it's it's a plausible story. And Vic, Vicky basically believes him. And people are still saying, oh, it was probably an accident. But it definitely still seems like a murder. Because Bill's ghost says he was murdered, right? Right. So, then who did it? And this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I'm missing between who... Who reveals that they killed that they killed Bill? And I think I think we're pretty much all caught up, except for that there's a whole side plot where Carolyn is stringing along her boyfriend and would yeah, would be fiance Joe Haskell, even though there's they never have actually officially gotten engaged. And so, like while this is going on, basically every time Burke Devlin gives carolyn any kind of attention carolyn tells joe to piss off but and then the second yeah. anytime burke devlin is like i'm gonna go to banger with vicky or i'm going to you know do this instead of do that and or he's you're just, just a busy. silly little girl yeah she gets mad and then she goes to her old standby joe haskell so yeah, I think before we get into the reveal of who killed Bill Malloy, we should have this fun discussion about what starts happening for Joe. Joe Haskell is played by Joel Crothers. 
Joe Haskell, one of the few decent people of Collinsport. Yeah, he's one of the nicest, nicest people in town, which I guess, you know, would put him in danger because we saw what happened to Bill Malloy. Right. But he worked with Bill, and he, you know, he cares about what's going on and everything. But anyway, so this whole little saga of the Burke, Carolyn, uh, Joe thing is happening, and Joe, one of the times he gets stood up by Carolyn or a date is broken or they have a fight or something. He ends up at the blue whale. Right. Where Sam and Maggie are hanging out. The Evanses are having a drink. So he joins them and they have this fun. I don't know. I I really like it in, in stories like this, especially in any kind of, in any kind of like daytime drama where the characters interact and show friendships being formed or show evidence of a long-standing friendship and history that we the viewers didn't get to see like i think it adds a lot of depth to the characters and so you you know it's like um, maggie and joe went to high school together and you kind of get the feeling that maggie maybe has always had a little bit of a crush on joe he was on the football team and all this yeah definitely when when joe comes in maggie's eyes get a little sparkly yeah, and it's cute, and Maggie's adorable. And she makes mention to that to her father that, you know, Joe might not be with, you know, with, with Carolyn, Carolyn forever. Longer. Well, because she knows all the gossip. Right. And, and that, you know, he needs a girl that treats him right. And Sam is, you know, cautioning her, you know, that's kind of a hornet's nest. You don't Basically, get don't get involved with the Collinses of Collinsport. Right. But um, so anyway, but he likes Joe, and they, they've all known each other a while. So Joe comes and pulls up a chair, and he's feeling a little dejected. And they start joking about the Collins family, and so they start taking a drink. They make up a drinking game. And it's they, called the Collinses of Collinsport. Yeah, and so they kind of, it's like whenever they come up in conversation, there's just sort of a cheer, it's sort of like cheer, like a fake cheers to the Collins of Collinsport. And, and then they, they all drink. Yeah, and so they drink, they drink to the Collinses of Collinsport. And it's, it's really funny. It's a, it's a cool moment, especially because when you think about the fact that this is a show that certain little things like, uh, seeing a boom mic or seeing a shadow or occasionally sometimes you'll see someone from the crew through a window on a set when you're not sure. supposed to. People, long-standing traditions of, of Dark Shadows fans have had drinking games, but there's the characters have a drinking game within the yeah. show. I feel like so if you're really fun. doing a drinking game to Dark Shadows that you should shout the Collinses of Collinsport every time you right. take a drink. And so they... Was it the Collins family of Collinsport or Collinses of Collinsport? The Collinses of I think, Collinsport. Yeah, yeah. It's, so that that's just a really a really fun moment that happens, and through the development, basically Joel starts hanging out with Maggie more, and well, Maggie starts inviting Joel around, and basically Maggie gets the idea in her head that she's gonna make Joe hers. And it's not very hard. <laughs> no. Well, because, one, she's really beautiful. And uh, Catherine Lee Scott was a Playboy bunny. So, you know. Not, not a like... not a magazine model, a server she at a at Playboy club. Yeah, well, you gotta be you gotta be a hot little pixie to work at one right. of those clubs. People, people get a confusion between Playmate and play, Playboy bunny. Mm-hmm. She was a bunny, not a Playmate. And she... And, and proud of it, too. Um, uh, she also wrote a book about that? Yeah, which I totally want to read. 
um, she, she's very charming and effervescent and, and we come to learn that not only does she really like Joe, she happens to know quite a bit about boats. Like well, she knows quite a bit about everything right. that happens in Collinsport. And so she's served a lot of sailors, so she knows all about the boats and everything. And her dad's an artist, so, you know, mm -hmm. he's done lots of boat paintings, and I'm sure you got to get all the details right. But you start seeing, you start looking at Joe, and you think, well, what are you dating Carolyn for? She treats you like garbage, right. and here's this. Why be with the flibberty gibbet that doesn't care about your hopes and dreams <laughs> when there's this hot waitress that knows all about boats and thinks that your hopes and dreams are noble causes. Well, and also, and also, you know, it's class comes into play in the story as it does in real life. But sometimes it's just really hard to relate to people who come from a lot more money than you. And that's not necessarily to slam people who come from a lot of wealth. But I think sometimes people who've grown up working class and having to have jobs at an early age and work their way up in the world they just have this different sense of things and a different awareness that people who've had a lot of things handed to them just don't and i'm putting that in the nicest way i can because i've dealt with people over the years who are just you know kind of oblivious trust fund kids and and you know sure and there's there's, there's some it's not, not all no you know. it's not but i think that there's a common thread of and it's not that those people are necessarily bad it's just that when you have not had these experiences certain ways of life don't occur to you and it can make you come across really spoiled as and, a little blonde flibberty gibbet right and but in the case of carolyn she's extremely spoiled she hasn't had it easy you know she doesn't she grew up without a dad and her mom's got some problems and her uncle's pretty dastardly and she's got a sociopath cousin that lives in the house and apparently can't have kittens so that's messed up but she's you know she just doesn't she's all about carolyn all the time she's right. not gonna have any awareness that maybe i shouldn't treat which also isn't necessarily have anything to do with the money it could That's, just be that Carolyn is But being, being physically comfortable can definitely foster that kind of mentality. No, you can totally be self-centered and a narcissist and poor. That's possible. Yeah. But I think that having lots of things taken care of for you helps lend, lend that kind of right. personality. It, it helps foster that. Right, which is what we see in multiple things that we haven't even mentioned. Because there's a lot of... There's so many little tiny side things that have happened because um, we're just, we're covering in this, this episode of the side cast, like how many is, it's almost like a hundred episodes. Yeah. It's just shy. It's just a few shy of a hundred. So, I mean, in a hundred, 23 minute long stints, uh, a lot has happened that we have not talked about. Um, one of those things is like, you know, the ongoing back and forth liberty gibbetness of carolyn where like one of them she just shows up randomly at the cannery to pick up joe and just take him away and or have him take her away because she's feeling down mm -hmm. but it's like joe's at work yeah and he has a job and he has to do the job and she's basically telling him like oh we'll blow off work and come have fun with me. And, and he's like, no, I need to do my job. Daughter, like, so. Well, I, you know, my mom owns the place, so you can totally blow off work. And it's like, it's not 
the fact of whether I can or can't do it. It's whether I should or shouldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, he has a work ethic and he cares about his reputation and he wants to be a self-made man. He doesn't want to be mocked for dating the boss's daughter, which he already gets a little bit of, right. Right, you know, a little bit of rousing for. So one thing, different subject, but something we should mention that's happening throughout the course of this storyline that's we are introduced to a new character who figures not prominently, but in this storyline throughout, um, is we meet the housekeeper of Bill Malloy, whose name is Mrs. Johnson, who's played by Sarah Clarice Blackburn. And she ends up getting hired on at Collinwood to become their housekeeper. And it's the first time they've had a housekeeper in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, their groundskeeper, Matthew Morgan, again, played by Thayer David, he is resistant to the idea because he doesn't like change and he's suspicious of everybody and he's very territorial about the Collins family. But the he interesting... also threatened Burke's life because he was stirring stuff up. He, yeah, and the thing that's interesting about Mrs. Johnson is that she's basically a plant for Burke Devlin because she believes that Bill was murdered. And you get the feeling that she harbored some deep feelings for Bill Malloy that weren't right. There was a love triangle. Right. That he was, you know, pining away for Mrs. Stoddard and she was pining away for him and basically like, you know, a wife to him keeping his home and cooking his meals for many years, we think. Um, she decides to help Burke because she wants to get to the truth and she's also kind of has it in for the Collins family because sure. she holds them responsible for his death. And Burke, she says, well, how would I get in there as a, you know, as a the maid and lady of the house or right. whatever. And Burke says, ah, I'll figure it out. And literally like five minutes after that, he tricks, uh, tricks, uh, Caroline, Caroline into being, coming up with the idea on right. her own he of, her. you know, inviting her over to be their housekeeper. So, Carolyn then convinces Mrs. Stoddard, her mother, to hire to hire um, Mrs. Johnson, and it eventually works. So we have Mrs. Johnson in the background for the most part, but she's, she's you now know, a Collinswood reporting regular. to Burke occasionally, either via phone or in person, letting him know what's happening. And Burke, you know, learns quite a bit from her while this is going on. And so this is all leading up to. Who killed Bill Malloy? And what we learn is we start to see he's not really present until he's not really present too much before Bill is killed, but we see uh, groundskeeper Matthew Morgan becoming increasingly agitated as the investigation is happening and because right. well, he doesn't comments and... he doesn't like any bad attention coming to Collinswood. He needs to protect Collinswood, his employer and everything, from from any wrong harm going on, you know. And so everybody Almost that keeps right, though. everyone that keeps, you know, kicking up the dust, he gets mad at and tries to well, sometimes tries to strangle them, but he tries yeah. to put it down. And also around this time um there's, uh, Vicky has been working with the cops more because mm -hmm. she keeps 
coming in as different material witnesses. Well, I think I think Matthew overhears that she knows who the killer is, and this is when she still thinks it might have been Roger. Right. And he doesn't know that. He doesn't know any of that. He just hears... Well, at this point, Vicky has, like, suspicions of Roger. There might still be some suspicions of Burke Devlin. There's suspicions all over the place, and people start attempting to knock Vicky off. Well, it's it's all been one person the whole time, well, but she doesn't she doesn't know this. Right. But she at one point someone tries to run her down while she's walking. Someone um, tries to get into people, her bedroom. People think that that was Sam because Sam was the last person who had seen her and he'd been drinking at the Blue Whale and they just had a conversation and knew that she was walking on foot. Right. And then, so people are, the police are asking Sam questions about that. And then someone tries to get into Vicky's room at night, which mm-hmm. is really creepy. And then, and then, then they're thinking maybe David. Roger because, because Roger would be able to get access to a key. Sure. Well, and he's come knocking on her door late at night before when he's been wanting to talk about things. Um, yeah, because Roger's a creep. Like when he discovered that she snuck out to tell Burke, you know, what she knew because she was afraid. Right, um, about the pen. So that happened previously. But yeah, so, so definitely something, somebody's closing in on Vicky because she knows too much. And she goes, at one point David is missing, and so she goes to look for him, which is a regular occurrence because he's constantly running around unsupervised on he's a he's a free range kid on that property yeah and so she goes down to the old house and someone deliberately moves a piece of a column and tries to drop it on her from up high yeah another thing a plant urn from Mm -hmm. on top of the roof so there have been almost kills her multiple attempts on her life and then in yet another round of looking for david she ends up at matthew's cottage and he, he's not there when she first goes in, if I'm remembering correctly. But she goes in, and she's looking around, and, and he comes in, and they get into a heated conversation, and Matthew starts freaking out and right. basically saying that she should leave and that she's... Basically, he says all the start of all this trouble is with her arrival and that she's been causing problems for the family. And right. He's just decided that it's all her. And as his sort of rant gets more and more intense, he lets it slip that he was the one who killed Bill. Because right. Bill was making trouble for the family. And he says it was an accident. That he was just arguing with him. I mean, this is after we've already seen him attempt to strangle Burke in public. Right. So... Probably and also, a bit of anger. he uh, let it slip by way of knowing more information than was out there. That mm-hmm. he was the one that attempted to run over Vicky. Mm-hmm. To which he says, oh, I was just trying to scare you. And she mm-hmm. said, what about the urn? Were you just trying to scare me there? Right. Because so... that came pretty close to killing her. He's become fixated on her and that she's the root of the problem. And she doesn't quite realize the gravity of how much trouble she's in until Elizabeth calls Matthew's cottage to find if Matthew has found David because they're still looking for David. Right. And uh, Vicky realizes through overhearing that he's lying to her on the phone. That's true. That was before she knew. Yeah. But he's, 
he's like insisting that she stay and kind of forcing her to stay. And then after that, when he reveals that he's killed Bill, she tries to convince him that, you know, I'm sure it was an accident. You know, right. I'll back you up. It'll be fine. You won't get in any trouble. Which there's some really, on her part, very good, uh, I forget the actress's name. Alexandra, well, she's listed as both Alexandra Isles, which I feel like is a stage name, and Alexandra, I might be pronouncing this wrong, Moltke, because she's right. Danish. Um, but yeah, she does some really good acting in that scene when, basically, she's very good at acting like she is fearful for her life and pleading for any kind of bargain she can make to to save herself. And so, she's very much in danger and he implies that he's gonna have to kill her because right. she knows too much and then was it elizabeth comes down to the cottage yeah elizabeth finds something strange about the their, whole interaction and she says i'm gonna go check it out and she goes down there finds matthew with her um basically before matthew can kill vicky which is kind of what he's leading up to yeah and then, so, Elizabeth stands her ground, even though Matthew, like, charges at her. There's a really good scene of that. Yeah, she's, she's, she's kind of being like a badass in this. stone-faced as mm -hmm. Matthew, like, comes up at swinging. And so then that, like, puts Matthew off, realizes what he's doing, and then he just flees for the hills. Mm-hmm. And so, so... now we know who killed Bill Malloy, finally. And he's... But it's not over. No. No, it is not. Matthew is... Because now he's a man on the run. Quote, unquote, at large. And so everybody now knows. And uh, I think even as Frank Garner comes down to visit Vicky and they're making plans and right. people think that Matthew might have gone to a relative's. They're, you know, everybody's searching for him. Yeah, there's like an all-points bulletin now for mm -hmm. Matthew Morgan. So we find out that Matthew does not leave Collinwood. He leaves the, the he leaves his cottage. Right, he and he goes, leaves Collinwood for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then when the dust starts to settle a little bit, he came back. So he stays, he stays in the old house. And the old house is you know, a, a derelict mansion on the property that used to be lived in by various Collins family members back in the day. And the old house, this is basically, we see it once or twice before when David's down there playing or when he's right. trying to talk to Josette through her portrait. But the old house suddenly becomes a bigger player throughout the show after right. this point. Um, it definitely comes into play when Barnabas is on the scene. And so... Um, and it's cool. It's like your classic haunted house. It's got tons it's got of cobwebs. And, yeah, and broken windows. Old portraits that are dusty and candle candlesticks with melted wax everywhere. Matthew knows about the secret of the house, which... There's a secret room. There's a secret room behind the wall, behind a bookcase. Mm-hmm. Very so similar. that's where he's hiding. Similar to the room, to the secret Door yeah, the Collinses were really ring. into making secret rooms, Ugh, apparently. Gotta love that. Gotta um, love a good secret entrance. Anyway. So, so, yeah, so he's hiding out there, and then David, because David loves the old house, is out there just 
That shows how not smart Matthew is. It's yeah. like he everybody knows David goes to the old house and right. he decides he's gonna hide and there. So David goes to the old house and then I don't remember if he stumbles on Matthew or if Matthew like comes out and grabs him. I don't remember exactly how they discover each other, but, but David yeah. figures out that Matthew's there. And then David weirdly wants to keep Matthew there, even though Matthew's initially planning to just wait for the cops to leave. And then and go. And then go. He's got his car out back, hidden, right. and he's got plans to leave, which would have been fine for everyone. But David, the mastermind, yeah. is the only one that can figure out how to talk to to uh, Matthew. And he convinces him he needs to stay. And because David's convinced still that his dad's the one that killed Bill Malloy. Uh-huh. And that, you know, it's all lies about Matthew. And he's going to figure out how to, you know, to to set Ma- get well, Matthew, you know, You weirdly get the impression and... that David likes the idea of kind of keeping Matthew like a pet almost. Yeah. Like it's... Yeah, he's bringing him food mm-hmm. and... He's got his own private Igor down in the haunted house. Right, basically. And so he's he's well, going... and also, um, and then Matthew, you know, he says like, you know, where have you been? Blah blah blah. Or David says where have you been, and he's like, well, you know, you don't know the secret about the. Well, maybe I'll tell you the secret about the house one day. Mm-hmm. You know, and so Matthew is leading on David to do his bidding by keeping lording over the secret of the house to him. And then David is keeping Matthew around by. <laughs> well, he you know, lies to him and tells him that the, there's still a police presence on the property, which right. there isn't because they think he's left. But he convinces Matthew that there is, and then he also so they're both agrees, duping each other. He agrees to provide Matthew with breakfast and lunch, and so he packs up canned food and basically raids the pantry. And we start to actually get to see the set for the kitchen and the dining area becomes kind of an expanded part of right. the sets. We start to during this part of the story. Keep we keep building see, new sets. Yeah, like we see at this point. We I think Carolyn's they're starting to get money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're we, getting more money and more popularity, basically, because you know after the ghost. Well, because yeah, for for once, a lot once of once people it, start talking about the ghost to other people, like wait, there's a show with a ghost. Right. Gotta well, watch this show. For a lot of it, all we're really seeing is we're seeing mostly the entranceway to Collinwood and their parlor, or you see, um, you know, you see the Collinwood Inn Cafe, or you right. see the Blue Whale, and maybe occasionally you see a couple other places, but mostly we're, you know, we're like seeing a Vicky's lot of new places. Bedroom every once yeah, in you a see while Vicky's and... bedroom a lot early in the in the beginning in David's room, but now we've been seeing. I, I mean, I don't know if people are interested in sets or how this is put together, but I think it's interesting. It's like, right. oh, we get to see the dining room. We got to see into part of the closed off section of the house. Right. You know, we've seen down into the basement a few times. I'm pretty sure the basement or the closed off section of the house is reworked basement in a lot of places oh sure and we see um we see the cottage matthew's cottage which we're going to get to see more in the future because someone else will be staying there and then we get to see the old house which is really cool you'll see a lot of burke devlin's suite yeah and also around then you start getting exteriors which yeah a lot more exteriors. before it was all interiors and then like just stills 
Lots of, of exteriors, shots. but now you actually see like people walking on the beach, mm-hmm. people walking down the street of Collinsport, things like that. And in, you see shots of the old house from the exterior, like we were, right. when we see the scene of Victoria having to dodge the urn. Um, so, so Matthew's holed up. And Josette running around. Yeah, so Matthew's Matthew's holed up in the house. He's got the secret room, and. While this is going on, he's been there for a while. David's been sneaking him food. He steals Mrs. Johnson's cigarettes at one point. And he goes, he's down, you know, down there. And, and Victoria is about ready to go on a weekend trip to Bangor. She's going to go hang out with Frank. She's got fun plans. And so right. people aren't expecting to see her for a few days. And she ends up going to help look for David right before she's supposed to catch Yet her again. catch her bus and she drops i think is it her wallet yeah she finds david at yeah. the old house and then on the way back she loses her wallet because they took a shortcut right so she decides to go back and look for it right before she's supposed to leave well she goes to look for it and she encounters Matthew and Matthew decides yet again to kidnap her again, yeah. except for for a much longer duration than at the cottage. And so he keeps her in, he keeps her tied up to a chair in the secret room. And David for like twenty four hours. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, it's it looks like it was a rough time. And eventually. Frank calls looking for her because she never showed up in Bangor. So people start to worry and people start to look for her. Right, because she basically said her goodbyes and said, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just get my wallet well, and they then find I'll her leave. suitcase still there. <laughs> right, and then they start putting things together and figure out that she never left Collinsport, never arrived in Bangor. Um, and then when they find her suitcase after they're trying to figure out where she's at, mm-hmm. in the front entrance way of Collins Wood, they realize she's never left the property. Also, okay, quick, quick side note. Right before she goes missing, uh-huh. doesn't she have a visit with Burke where Burke just like plants a big kiss on her, like all passionate like? Because there's like this moment that they have. I'm pretty sure it's before she goes missing. Yeah. Where I don't remember the purpose yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't. There's so many other things going on. I don't remember what brought it on, but he just like basically like admits that he he's like has feelings for her but he does it in this kind of chauvinistic way well isn't this always where we were headed or something and she's right. just like no like, we like, can't do plants this plants a big kiss on her and then like apologizes and then but then like says like you know i didn't mean to do that i couldn't you know help myself or whatever and then she's just like i understand because you know that's the sign of the times back then right it was not invited in any way, shape, or form. I always think that, like, they're... Invited or provoked. Their connection, like, I think she likes him as a friend, and he's just, like, weirdly kind of obsessed with her because he likes that she's a genuinely good person. Also, she's beautiful, but, like, right. he is entertained by hanging out with Carolyn, but um, you can tell that... Carolyn is like the good time girl. Right. And he's looking she's at a, Vicky with like serious interest. You don't you don't make a a a girlfriend out of the Fliberty gibbet, you know. No, I mean I don't wanna be super super 
derogatory or gross or repeat sexist things that I remember, um, a little bit of a chauvinistic male friend of mine in college who was like a work buddy and somebody that I generally enjoyed, even though he'd say stupid things sometimes told me something about that, like, you know, well, you hook up with the blonde and you marry the brunette. And it just kind of like seems like the, the MO for Burke Devlin in this. Right. And it's like meaning like, oh, like somehow the stereotype of hair color that one girl is more stable and reliable the other and the other one's just like supposed to be a cheap throwaway good time, which is really disrespectful to both women in that in that scenario but in Burke's case he's using Carolyn as part of a revenge plot and I think he's always been smitten with Vicky from the get-go because because she's Vicky yeah and so I mean she's no Maggie Evans but (laughs) anyway so that that takes place and then pretty soon after you know he's feeling a little dejected and he also he uh ends up calling up Carolyn, or Carolyn calls him, one way or the other. They end up having a date, and he's kind of licking his wounds and making out with her. And this is all while Vicky's missing. And Carolyn also implies... Oh, yeah, that's right, because he kisses Vicky, then gets rejected. So yeah. So he does what Carolyn does with Joe. Yeah, yeah. Calls up Carolyn. Carolyn is his Joe. To have, to have <laughs> Carolyn over for some drinks and... And then they end up making out. Yeah, and so they're having fun or whatever. But also, he, Carolyn reveals that Vicky is seeing someone, which gets him because she right you know, lets gets him, him know riled. about Frank Garner. Of so course. He, so that's all going on. So while they're looking for Vicky, um, Joe Haskell gets in on it. This right. is the reason why I even bring up. This I don't whole remember thing. when Joe Haskell showed up. He showed up for. I think. I think. Originally, people thought, well, maybe Carolyn drove her to Bangor. Oh, right. And so, and so they, they were saying, well, yeah. does Joe have a date with her or not? Yeah, so they check in with Joe to see if he knows anything, and Joe and Carolyn have been kind of on the outs anyway, so he's The like, last no. time Joe saw her, she said she never wanted to see him again. But he volunteers to come help search for Vicky, because he's a right. good guy, and he cares. Because And Joe so Haskell. he goes... Upstanding gentleman. He's pretty sure he knows where Carolyn is. So he goes to Burke's room, finds Carolyn there, lo and behold. Right. Um, gets into a little bit of a scuffle. Punching thing with Burke, but then once Burke realizes that Vicky's missing, he drops his quarrel with Joe, and the two of them And almost literally drops Carolyn at the same time. And the two of them dash off to go hunt for Vicky, and they kind of like they're not, like, buddies at this point, but it's kind of, like, the BS between them. Right. There's bigger starts, things in the world right. than our They start problems. to realize that they're probably, in the grand scheme of things, kind of on the same team right. in a way. Like, that they're both... They both care about other people. They both basically want to do the right thing. When Burke's not super obsessed with revenge, he's not a terrible person. He's not like Roger. So um, now everyone's left Carolyn for Vicky. <laughs> I know. It's like her worst nightmare. She's probably sitting there going, Vicky, But Vicky's Vicky, Vicky. also <laughs> been abducted and possibly being murdered. Right. Right. She is And yet Carolyn concerned. is still more concerned about <laughs> Carolyn's good times. No, she which is. Which kind of goes to show you who Carolyn is. Right. And you don't really feel too sorry for her. That no, you she don't. She ends up getting ditched by everybody. Right. So it's, it's kind of agonizing because Vicky, while they're searching, can hear them calling. Mm-hmm. But and... she's tied up in a, a hidden room. And in the meantime, David even finds her that she's there well david finds her towards the very end very end but he's becomes again 
because he thinks he's done something. He knows he's done something wrong. Uh, this is the second time. So he's worried about going to jail. David won't tell anybody anything because all anyone ever talks about in Collinsport to David is how whoever has done whatever is going on will go to jail. Right, and it's just and like if, with his dad in the car. And if anybody helps that person, they're an accessory and they will go to jail. Until he asks Burke, and Burke is like, they don't send little boys to jail. Right, and well, he trusts it's, Burke. it's that the, the Burke thing only comes up because David, because he's trying to do the right thing, comes to Roger... Uh -huh. And tells Roger, like, I know something, you know, but, but you have to promise, you have to promise get me in trouble. that I won't get in trouble. And, like, Roger cannot be <laughs> smart enough to be like, okay, just promise the kid he won't be in trouble. He might get in trouble. You might have to break your lie, you know, your bluff. Right. But like, you get the information from the kid first. But first, all Roger says is, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll be in trouble. You better tell me what it is. Right. A good parent or someone who actually even just knew child psyche would basically manipulate and say whatever they needed to to get that kid to tell you what's going on. Right. Because that is the, that is the goal. <laughs> and so... Not then, I'm the boss. Then uh, David calls Burke Devlin because Burke Devlin's always nice to him. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, come down here quick. You know, I can help you. And so Burke Devlin, knowing damn well that David small? is actually, you know, connected with things and knows what's going on a lot of the times. Isn't this all Matthew's, like, out back sharpening an axe? Yeah, or basically. Like, it's really macabre. It's like... It's so dark. Yeah, Vicky's gonna get it any second now while people How? are bickering over whether or not this child needs to be spanked. How people weren't watching this until there was a vampire floors me you know i'm sure there were people watching this but how like there wasn't a big ratings jump it's like you guys aren't interested there's this you know a murderer holding right. a girl captive in a secret room there's ghosts he's sharpening an axe like come on right. what more creepy you know creepy macabre soap opera vibes do you want and so, so uh burke devlin shows up and lo and behold, all you gotta do is tell the child that they don't send children to jail, to prison. Right. And he goes, oh, okay. By the way, Vicky's in the old house, and Matthew's got her. Mm-hmm. You know. Also, he's a little rich boy. Like, it's not like someone's gonna send him to juvenile detention. The worst that could happen to David is he gets sent to, like, a private militaristic school. Right. <laughs> you know, which would be bad, but... And so now that not only... Do we know who killed Bill Malloy, but we also need to go save Vicky, uh, Burke Devlin, and Roger team up for the first time in 15 years. Mm -hmm. And along with Joe, and everyone's armed with, with guns. Right. They get out the big guns out of the gun cabinet. Well, I think Joe, Joe had him. gone back by then. Joe and, and Burke had borrowed the guns right. that were loaned by... From the uh, first search. By Mrs. Stoddard, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. For the first search that came up, you know, nothing because they're in the, the private room. That's when she could hear them going around calling but her name. But she's in the secret but room. But she's in the secret room, so she was gagged. She couldn't say anything. So now they've got the guns again, but this time they know where to go. And they're, they're going to show up too late. Because he's mm -hmm. got the axe and he's ready to start hacking. 
But uh, then he starts hearing things. And People are calling his name. Yeah, he hears ghostly voices saying, Matthew! Right. Um, and then he keeps saying, you know, he's mad at Vicky because Vicky won't admit that he hears them too. She hears them too. And she doesn't. Cause she doesn't because they're only talking to Matthew. And then, uh, so finally the, the men arrive with their guns to save Vicky. But Vicky doesn't necessarily need saving other than, you know, she needs to be untied. Yeah, she's tied up in the secret room, and Matthew is lying on the floor dead of fright because yeah. all of the ghosts of Colin... He had a heart like, attack. And it's not just you see Josette, and you see... And Bill, Bill shows Malloy. up, but there's also other, like, the widow ghosts. The other widows. Yeah, they yeah. all... the Basically, all the Collinswood ghosts appear and converge on Matthew and cause him to have a heart attack. Right. And it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and they save her. Yeah, and like leading up to this, there's been multiple comments about how there needs to be a third, like death or something to release some kind of. There's like a legend, oh, the of, legend the of the widows, and how like there needs to be so many deaths, and you know there's still one left, and so they keep implying that like oh Vicky's gonna be the last, which doesn't really work if you think about well, it because she's not married so she can't doesn't josette appear to someone and say someone will die tonight and i think maybe she appears to matthew once before all the ghosts do there's a anyway there's a comment of like someone someone at collinwood will right. die tonight there's like she a says it to to matthew the mm -hmm. first time he sees her she says that you know someone will die at collinswood tonight and so matthew thinks He's got to kill Vicky. Because mm -hmm. the ghost insane. said that, you know, someone's got to die at Collinwood. And Vicky's the one on the platter. So, the chopping block. And then it turns out it's him. And, and then, the ghosts are the one that killed him. So, she's saved by the ghosts. She's set free by Burke and Roger. And she, you know, is basically taken back to Collinwood, cleaned up and tucked in for the night. You know? Everything's good. And every, this is where this, this storyline ends. And mm -hmm. while this storyline is wrapping up, a strange woman shows up at the coffee shop at the Collinsport Inn. Doesn't want coffee. She's got a faraway look in her eye. And Doesn't she want says food. it's been a long time since she's been to Collinwood. Yeah. Maggie tries to ask her what's going on, and mm -hmm. she keeps evading questions. Mm -hmm. and Sam Evans sees her and is trying to place who she might be. Recognizes her, yeah. but doesn't know from where. And and basically, with this new mysterious woman, breezes in the next storyline that we will be discussing on our next episode of the Dark Shadows Sidecast. So, stay tuned for that. I'm ex and I have to say... This is Allison's this is, favorite. So far, we have not completed the entire Dark Shadow series. We're probably about 40% of the way through. This is I don't even know, still, 40%. I looked, no, I looked yeah. up the storylines, and I'm like, okay, we know this one, we know this one, we know this one. So I can show you on the Wikipedia article later if you want to see. Right. But, so this is still, this is oh, basically. Oh, that we've watched, not that we've talked about. Not that we've talked right. about, that we have <laughs> watched. Say. So I can't honestly say it's my favorite storyline of the series, 
but it is my favorite storyline of the series so far, and it is the last major storyline of the segment of the show that's known as the beginning. The pre-Barnabas. So yeah, those first six seasons, the pre-Barnabas. Because basically, this last storyline that we're going to discuss in our next episode will wrap up right about the time Barnabas Collins makes his first appearance. Yep. So yeah, tune in next time for the the story of the phoenix. The story of the phoenix. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks for... Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed our in-depth blow-by-blow of, of this storyline of Dark Shadows. Well, we as in-depth as we could get uh, yeah. in in an hour and a half. But, you know, it's... I think, again, if you're enjoying the creepy haunted house, you know, spook spooky atmosphere storm stormy stormy weather kind of feels that this mm. show gives i think it's it's a good time and for us who love just a little light touch of the macabre it's kind of comfort food and, yeah you know. and if you're have been watching along or just listening to what we've been talking about and you're loving how crazy and convoluted it is oh just wait because before we know it, we're going to be into uh, flashbacks and alternate realities. And, it's going to get weirder. And trips to the future, <laughs> the distant future of 1995. Yeah, we haven't even watched those ones yet ourselves, so we're not quite sure what to expect. But we'll get there eventually. It's going to be interesting. Right. So, yeah, thanks thanks as always for listening and bearing with us. If you want to check out any links or show notes, if you want to see that Wikipedia timeline of storylines, I'll have that on our what on our home webpage at thehauntedavenport.com. Right. There's also a Wikipedia article that just tells you episode numbers um, for season and episode number. It doesn't and give who... a description of the episode. Right. That one doesn't... doesn't describe the episode. So if you're just trying to figure out how many there are and what episode is which, by oh. If you're confused by us trying to explain to you the episode numbering system, you can go to that one and there will be no spoilers, just numbers and who is directing, writing, and who's the narrator. I'm also going to plug a really cool blog I discovered recently doing some background research. It's very extensive, so I've only just kind of scratched the surface. But if you are a hardcore Dark Shadows fan, maybe you've already heard of this website, but... You want to check out the Collinsport Historical Society, and you can find that at collinsporthistoricalsociety.com, where there's in-depth descriptions of episodes, um, all kinds of little anecdotes about cast and crew and background info. Um, that looks like just an excellent blog. It goes really deep with the show. So if you are a super fan, that's definitely something you want to check out, and I'll have a link in our show notes to that website as well. So uh, I hope we're able to get out another one of these and, and talk about the next storyline before the end of summer. It might be a little while. Drew went back to work um, pretty much right after we recorded the last Dark Shadows episode. And so we've both just been really busy. Um, so bear with us and we will be getting you some more, more Collinsport stories soon. Yeah, and working full time and trying to get 100 episodes in. Well, and it's also like prime time for, you know, yard work and gardening season and just getting projects done too. So it's, it's always a, it's a juggle, but we 
are always grateful for your listenership and we hope that you are out there staying safe and healthy and keeping your distance from people and we will be back next time with some more dark shadows to the collinses of collinsport Walk